Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 51. 51. 51 Shades of Grey? No. 51 <laughs> Pickup? Is it 52? 52 Pickup. Is it also 52 Shades of Grey or just 50? 49. Are there 50 Shades of Grey? Because that's a... There are infinite Shades of Grey. Oh, I had to ask a black and white <laughs> photographer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do another take of that. You are listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number... 51. 51. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the must-see movies and guilty pleasures of our past. We need to work in more of the guilty pleasures, I think, personally. Well, I do plenty of that, so. Each week, (laughs) one of us gets to choose a movie, television show, or media product media product because let's all think of <laughs> the universe of entertainment as products well they're visual audio visual products not so far we haven't done any strictly audio products well we would have to be shut up and listen to this or something yeah okay but we digress <laughs> yes um it was my turn to choose something this week because, as promised, Ashley did not make me lose my turn just because we decided to use my turn last I'm time to do our... Very fair-minded uh, female, generally that's true. speaking. Fair weather female? Fair, fair no. weather friend? No. Farewell, my concubine. Um, it's the title of a movie. Yes, I know. Okay, so it was my choice, and I chose the film Chop Shop. Chop Shop. Is it 2007? Yes, I, I saw that earlier on on the two thousand American indie film. Um, excuse me, but directed by Rom, um, not Roger Ebert, Ramin Barani. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. I almost <laughs> did it reverse. Bob, Bob, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Um, first thoughts, synopsis. Well, you're supposed to tell us why you chose this film. We've Dave. only been doing this for two and a half years. Yeah, I don't I know. know but- why I chose this film. Why did you choose this film? This sounds like one of those essays that you have to write is why I chose... <laughs> Are you trying to get into grad school? <laughs> no, it sounds more like a book report kind of thing. Okay. Why I chose to... Or what I did, what on I my did last summer. On my yeah. summer vacation. Um, why I chose this film. I saw this film not in 2007. I saw this probably in 2011... 20, no, probably, actually, it might have been around 2009, 2010. Anyway, let me go for the period. The period is, well, um, that strange time in my life where... <laughs> that strange time. <laughs> <laughs> where I lived in San Antonio, where That's I lived right. a year apart from my ex at the time and my two kids. They moved... Um, they she moved. wasn't your ex at the time, though. No. Yeah. She is now, to be yes, clear. That, yeah. But she cut my hair the other day, yeah. so, you know. <laughs> I so when you her, were living I, separately from We your lived family. separately. Um, <laughs> I was working at Trinity University in San Antonio, and she got a new position um, in Austin at uh, Austin Community College. And uh, so I stayed, I had to stay on for a while in my job and uh, commuted back and forth over the weekends. It was a very tough year. Um there were lots of evenings where one needed to find uh, films and such and, and projects to distract yourself from yeah. from the strange realities of suddenly living apart from your family. Yeah. Oh, this is a fun episode. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, somehow uh, 
I can't remember if I read Roger Ebert's review of this at the time, but I know, which may have made me watch it. I honestly don't remember how I encountered it, but it was available. You really liked it. I think on Netflix, maybe. And I, I don't know. I think I even reacted to the the box shot, the poster shot mm. of the of the little boy, twelve um, year old Ale. Uh, anyway, so I saw the film during that time and really sort of was really drawn into that style of filmmaking and to Ramin Barani's voice, mm. the kind of thing he was trying to do. Um, and then I went, I went back and looked at a couple of his other films. And by that, that, at that point he made, I think his first film was Man Push Cart. And, um, and then he also did Goodbye Solo sometime after that, like probably after I saw this. Anyway, that's the time in my life when I saw it. It was a time when suddenly after a weird drought of having small children and not being able to really see mm. any new films yeah. coming out that the positive side that I could find in some of this weirdness going on with being apart from my family was um, getting reacquainted with uh, some of the cinema and stuff that was going on at the time. And I just spent so many years like fascinated and obsessed with like very stylish theatrical that's not what I'm trying to say it's d- directors with very overt styles the Kubricks yeah. and the David Lynch's and stuff that I suddenly like just felt the, just this refreshing pure street on a camera on a couple of people in everyday life sort yeah. of thing really struck me at the time yeah now that you point that out he the camera doesn't move a whole lot it's not a very obvious you know, well, direction, you I know, as far as that goes, there's no tricky angles or anything. There's like no that. tricky angles, but I think it moves a lot in the sense that it, I think it's often handheld yeah. and he's following people around. So it's very organic and that's why yeah. you don't notice it. You're really, it's almost documentary style. Yeah. But anyway, should we go dial back and, yeah. um, do you want to do a thumbnail? Uh, so we you know, start with our main character who is pretty much him and a few other people make up the whole story. Uh, our lead character, Ale, who's like a 11, 12 year old boy who's orphaned and we never know the circumstances or anything like that, but he, he lives alone. Um, and then he's able to secure for himself and his sister who's living somewhere else. Um, I think she's crashing with friends. We don't know a whole lot. So we never we never figure out what happened that left them homeless and without parents. But uh, he is able to secure a job in a body shop in uh, Willits Point, uh, New York, um, Queens somewhere. Queens, right? and it's like an industrial area they're living in, and it's so, right near Shea Stadium. Yeah, so they live like above this body shop that. Um, yeah, so the job he gets, they throw in. The- yeah. So he's allowed to stay in the body shop when, and he's sort of, sort of doing like an apprenticeship, I guess. They're kind of teaching him how to do body work and um, that sort of thing. And they also show that he's a really good runner for for going out there. And my impression is they're they're all fighting over who gets the like. It's a bunch of auto body shops mm-hmm. on that row, and they're all out there like running over and trying to get people. I think he's, yeah, he's doing that too. Yeah, he does that. So he's like, come in here and get your. What body do you need? Work you done. need your mirror. Yeah. yeah. 
So they, he does quotes on the work they're going to do, that sort of thing. So he's able to find a place for him to stay, and he brings his sister is able to stay with him, and he gets her a job working um, at a, a food truck. And she's older. What is she? Seventeen or eighteen? Something, or something? like that. Um, I think old enough to to work legally at least. Yeah. Um, and they're saving up money because they want to open their own taco truck. Yeah. Um, so he wants to buy one of those mobile food vans. Uh, Kids so, got big dreams. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the whole thing. He's hustling in order to to earn money for for that dream of yeah. owning their own food truck. Yeah. This is not a movie with a lot of overt crises and conflict. It is. It does have conflict, of course, yeah. but it's. It's like you're dropping down into this kid's world and seeing his hopes and struggles and his hustle yeah, and his optimism and his effort to just keep on grooving and living and give himself and his older sister, she's older than him, yeah. you know, a better life than they have. There's not a lot of feeling sorry for himself. Yeah. He's he's very he has a dream and a motivation that keeps him going every day. I don't know. There's like I know there's a lot of grim stuff in this story. I mean, I mean it's a it's a hard life, but yeah. also they have a place together that they make their own that little ramshackle room. Yeah, they've got their own bathroom downstairs, and they. It, the fact that he was able to find that is pretty amazing. So they're basically, they would basically be homeless if yeah. this guy who's letting this 12 year old work illegally or whatever yeah. didn't just throw in a room over the shop as well. He gets to somebody who has an eye on the shop and, you know, yeah, all the time. Security sort yeah. of thing. I don't know. There's something about that character, that boy, and then the style of this, the, the that. I find completely absorbing and won me over. Yeah, he's instantly, you're rooting for him. You want him to succeed. You know, his, you know, you see, and then, you know, you still have that, that sort of outsider grown up feeling of like knowing, you know, when he's doing things that are dangerous. And when I think there's the scene where he has his can of money that he decides to hide. Yeah like away from his apartment. And so he finds this like abandoned, like it's like a, a, a pedestrian bridge. Or yeah. Something, it's like right? a storage closet on a pedestrian bridge or something like where that. There's a loose floorboard and he has a little he, place. So where he, he hides like his entire life savings in this can. And he's got hundreds, thousands. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, he's trying to get trying to dollars Yeah. is what he needs. For and the... he gets paid in a, in a wad of cash. We don't know how much yeah. at, <laughs> at the end of the week or whatever by Rob, the, the, the uh, auto body yeah. shop guy. So I was, you know, one fascinated, but I think I had to, you got upset with me cause I was trying to look up where this was located. Well, it was right where there was going to be like a yeah. big reveal, like where the story was going to turn. I was in a just different fascinated direction. by the setting because it's like, like the roads aren't paved at all. They're all like caliche roads. I didn't notice that. Um, one thing that I noticed is like when he's trying to get people to come in to, to, take their car into this auto, auto, auto body shop. 
like the roads are always flooded. So there's no drainage because there are no roads. I read about I do this. Remember you saying yeah. that. It's always flooded. But l- what I noticed is it's wet during the work week, but like on the scenes where it's the weekend where he's not working and there's nobody down in the yeah. auto body shops, it's because um, somebody must be running like a car wash or something like that. Somebody's running water during the work week that dries up during the. Because I noticed it, like, every time that he's doing one of those things where, like, hey, you, come here, you know, the the street is completely flooded with mm-hmm. water. He's waiting in, like, six inches of water. It's true. And everybody else is. But I think it's because, you know, after they've corrected the auto body stuff, they wash the cars, and then there's all this water runoff that just hangs out in the streets. Anyway, it's fascinating. Um, but it's this really industrial, non-developed area of New York. Um up until like 2018, they finally decided that they were going to do some. So, I oh, mean, it's other, been developed now. Yeah, they're starting to develop, but but I mean, essentially, the only thing developed there was Shea Stadium, which is now City Stadium. They they updated it, um, but there was nothing else there. But now they're building parks and housing developments and elementary schools. But like in 2013, only 10 people lived in that area. It's crazy. <laughs> I guess people like Ale lived in... And this little <laughs> triangle is like all auto body shops yeah. and chop shops and stuff like that. Junkyards and that sort yeah. of thing. So, um, yeah, well, the only reason... that you saw? <laughs> no, that was something else where you saw But the, the reason I looked up where it was, because I wanted to know what stadium it was. Yeah. The Mets Stadium, it was Shea Stadium at the time, but now is Mets uh, Citibank Stadium or something like that. Yeah. So. Anyway, it's fascinating. You know, in this place that we think is completely inhabited like new york you think like everything mm-hmm. is apartment buildings and there's this whole like giant quarter industrial wasteland where there's of. like nothing no one lives there you know people just I didn't go realize there to, nobody lived yeah there. like 10 people live there so it's nuts <laughs> um yeah, so I mean, that's why all sorts of like illegal stuff goes down because You've there's got the truckers and the yeah, weird prostitution thing yeah, going on. There's nobody there at night to, mm-hmm. you know. And this 12 year old kid is living in a little room above an auto body shop. Yeah. And he's not scared or. No. He really is like master of his destiny. I yeah. mean, he really has a confidence about him that's infectious. Well, I mean, he doesn't have anyone to tell him that it won't work. I mean, there's, you know, the the guys who work there, well, you know. Although <laughs> the the goal, the dream of the van is a little misguided because yeah. the the van that they get fixated on buying is um, his best friend, another twelve year old, his best yeah. friend's uncle has has. Uh, has a um, a van that he wants to buy that he's mm. saving up for a specific food truck. Well, well think, it's in really I think terrible. The, yeah, the condition. uncle is like a vendor of food trucks. Like he has a bunch of them. That's for sale. what it is because there were a number. And of he them. keeps trying to sell him an ice cream truck, which is in better shape, I yeah, think. But he has this vision. Like his sister's working in the taco truck. I don't know what it is. It's something they go and look at it. They're talking about how they're going to paint it and the yeah. trim on it and everything. And man, he never does his research on the inside of that truck. Yeah. Until they drop. Well, some how money on how it. would he? You know. Well, I mean, it's just like that. How quickly the dream gets yeah, deflated yeah. when it's like there's a moment where one of the other characters, Ahmad, the the other 
auto body shop guy yeah. who he gets to look at the van after they've already bought it. Yeah. Is like, this thing needs to be gutted. It's going to take like $10,000 work of work, you know, yeah. to put in the new equipment. It's not up to code. It's, you can't just yeah. restore this with a little bit of like shoot polish and, yeah. and disinfectant. <laughs> yeah. Ollie was thinking they could just clean it and make it better, but he's like, this is never going to be up And then to Izzy's going to be making tacos, and he's going to be out there bringing in customers, <laughs> <Yeah>. probably. <laughs> it's all planned out. Yeah. Well, I think that Ahmad's... He actually runs, like, a junkyard chop shop thing. Because, so, like, that's where he always sells the the um, the rims that he picks up and yeah, tires so you, you and have stuff. The, like. You have, like... <laughs> this was something I was thinking about today seeing it again i think this is only the second time i've seen it which means it's stuck in my head this long that i needed to you know get you to watch it um you have the two sort of mentor auto body shop ones and one's more of a legitimate repair shop rob although it's still why has he hired a 12 year old boy to you know (laughs) under the table to to work in his shop but then on the other hand you have hamad who's got some shady operation go where they're br- yeah. truly bringing in stolen cars in the yeah. dead of night and stripping them down. You know, it is yeah. a chop shop. Um, and all is involved in that. So there's always this kind of, there's this tension throughout between Ollie doing his, his, his different side hustles. And some of them are more on the legal side and some of them are more like being drawn and towards the chop shops, the stealing, the hubcaps, um, that sort of stuff. Well, you do really feel the roads that he could go down because the auto body shop, the trade that they're teaching him is a valuable trade. There's actually He could do that legally. And he's got that guy he's often working with, yeah. assisting, you know, buffing cars and yeah. stuff like that. I love that. how they have, the, like, they're always like, when he's holding the tools, like, the guys are kind of like... They have this, they're moving their hands too and like showing him how to like feel how You're right. That's to really spray nice. it. And That's really like, nicely these are, done. These are sk- people, skilled artisans that know what they're doing and they're tra- they're training someone else how to do it, you know, and, and the only way to do that is experience and getting the feel. And so like, it's really, you understand what they're doing, you know. I think you're so, right. I mean, so, they, he's like an apprentice. Yeah. I didn't yeah. quite think of it that way, but he really is. And they do actually do that a number of times. Well, and it's it's a throwback to an, I mean, and we think of it as an older style economy, but it's an economy that continues that style of trade. And and there's this whole, you know, network of of people and people being trained to do things that are outside the formal education system that we exist in, you know. Um, you know, you can, you can get trained to do the same thing at ACC, you know, we weren't going to give you a place to stay while you're doing it though, you know? So, (laughs) so, I mean, but that's, that's, that's what's happening is like this formal education, you know, as opposed to the other path he could take, which would be this sort of stealing cars and, you know, taking them apart and, and, or purse snatching. Yeah. Or yeah. Like, it's very, there's very clearly a point where he starts to go more down the other road. And I think that that stuff becomes more of a way to, to make it when things start to go wrong. Yeah. I mean, you have the van doesn't really work. The food truck doesn't really work out in a way. Um, I mean, the, the business with his sister who unfortunately he, he finds out 
is like prostituting herself and keeping it a secret from him. It's something they never talk about, but that also is another pull of, you know, there's this other life where you have to hustle in, in, on the dark side sort of thing in order to, to make it in this world. I always felt like when he's engaged in these activities with Ahmad and like he stays all that all all night helping them chop up a car that they brought in a Volvo or something like that. And then like he's sleeping, you know, when Rob comes in that he's putting everything at risk, all the legitimate, you know, sources of income that he has at risk, you know, just for the chance for a little more for this goal, you know, and I, you know, and if, the stupid bootleg had, DVDs yeah. also. I don't know. If he had someone who would counsel him to, you know, take the legitimate job, even though it doesn't pay as much, you know, it, it has a, a longer future than, you know, stealing cars would, you know, I don't know. But they don't have anyone to... to well, how quickly do you, can, does he lose his life savings, really, on yeah. the stupid food truck? Yeah. You know, and then it becomes like... I tried to do the right thing and I tried to have a dream and look what happened. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting what they're, what they want is freedom. You know, that's, yeah. that's what he wants is the freedom to go to where to they want and do what they want, you know, and not be beholden to anyone. I mean, but that's what it looks like from the outside. Although you would have think that Izzy would have picked up on something, what it was like to run a food truck with this woman that she's working with on the food truck. Who's like ordering her around. And so here's my take. (laughs) I thought this was really interesting is that the relationship between Alejandro and Izzy, his older sister is like, I always feel I always felt throughout the movie that Ale was taking care of her. Mm -hmm. Like she was the older. So I grew up in some dicey, you know, like I had to leave my parents home and my older sister raised me. Okay. So you have that same kind of situation with the gap in years and an older sibling and a younger sibling. Well, it's Ale who's like trying to parent Izzy, you know, and how heartbreaking it is for him when he sees like some of the, paths that she's taken yeah but he has found them jobs he found her the job on the food truck he found the place for them to stay he's like trying to set up a life for the two of them he just approves of one of her friends all the time yeah he gives her shit about her friend all the time (laughs) like just like a dad would or something he is like parenting her yeah and it's really sweet on one level that but it's heartbreaking on another level because he can't really control what she does and you can't really protect other people if they're going to make other decisions anyway. Yeah. But it's like, it's a really nicely observed sibling relationship. Well, it's the other thing that I think is interesting is just how trusting everybody seems, Mm -hmm. you know, like it, it, like, I mean, you know, Rob just lets this kid, who I assume he didn't know very well, you know, live in his place where he makes his living, you know. And Ahmad just brings him in on these illegal activities. You know, he just trusts that, That I don't know, there's just some he's level got, of, of... Well, he has charm, yeah. and he's charismatic, and he 
there's something about his spirit yeah. that they respond to just the same way that we respond to yeah. him as a character on the screen. And he doesn't feel like a character. He feels yeah. like a real person. But, you know, I, you know, it it's because there's not there. It always makes me wonder about like, you know, what happened that Izzy is like completely unprepared to deal with the reality that she's living, you know, or maybe she, maybe there's more that we don't get to explore because it's not her story. It's it's Ollie's story. But, you know, like, I don't know. I, I wonder if it was something about like being raised a girl versus being raised a boy and in, in their whatever circumstances mm-hmm. they are. And she was prepared to find a man and Ollie was prepared to take over whatever. To start working. Yeah. Like the male. Age, you start, yeah. you, you work and you support your family. Mm-hmm. Well, he's trying to support them. Yeah. So it's, and they're in it together. You know, yeah. at, at, there's a certain point where he realizes that she's holding out on him mm-hmm. money and he just like grabs it out of her purse or her, her jeans her pocket. Her jeans pocket. Yeah. And, Puts it well, puts and then the lies and, about it, yeah. Too, and then, you know, <laughs> he tries to pin it on that friend, he doesn't. That's like. right. <laughs> Just Don't you like remember when friend. she was here the other day? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not good, not yeah. cool, man. Well, yeah, and I think they mentioned a couple times like an uncle who lives down in Florida or something like oh, that that's supposed that to contact all. them or like, something I didn't get like any that. Any references to other family never, members. you know, never called or reached out, and so they really, it really does seem well, like they're on their own. Do you, you feel know? like we're missing anything because we don't have more context as to how they got to be this way or what happened to their parents or anything? I don't think it like, changes the story at yeah. all, you know. But you know, I also, you know, it's I know that. Ollie was mad that, you know, the uncle sold him this thing, even though it had all this problems. But I don't feel like the uncle, like, did it maliciously. I don't think he, like, cheated him or anything like that. Because there's several scenes where he keeps trying to warn him. He's like, you know, don't. Don't take this one. Don't take you want this. The ice cream don't truck? you want the ice cream? It's in better shape, you know. And like you know, you hear as Ollie's leaving, like the uncle said, you know, the guy says, you know, that one's not going to run very well. You know, he'd be better off taking this one as he's walking out. He Ollie just doesn't want to hear it. No, he you doesn't want to hear that. Yeah. So I mean, like I. D- I mean, there's that wonderful scene, like where. Is it just before they buy it or just after they bought it where they're, they have a little kind of fake argument over whose name is going to be bigger and what color it's going to be? I love that scene. (laughs) She's like, it's going to say Izzy. Yeah. And then underneath in little, it's going to say Alejandro. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'll weigh in on that argument. I think that Izzy's is going to sound... That it's going to sound like homemade. That sounds more like a food truck. Yeah, yeah. Then, I uh, guess... Then was uh, he going to put his whole name or so Ollie? Izzy and Ollie would yeah. be okay, I guess. You know. <laughs> so, I think another thing that that I connected to or that I really thought was cool about this movie was it was an example of something... Of a kind of... It seemed to be an example of an American neorealist movie in the way that yeah. the Italian, like it was like, it comes out of bicycle thieves yeah. or, um, the Umberto day, the other, yeah. um, Vittorio De Sica movie that I like, you know, where it's like, 
we haven't even mentioned it, but um, Izzy and Alejandro are played by Izzy and Alejandro. Mm. Like, these are non-actors. They found them. They have never been in anything before. Um, And that was something that the neorealists did in Italy, too, is, like, they grabbed, you know, this working-class guy (laughs) and this poor kid, you know, and you are father and son, bicycle thief kind of thing. Yeah. And so they've done that here and down to also, like, we're going to shoot it handheld. It's going to kind of have that documentary sort of feel to it. It's not going to look directed. And I just hadn't seen that done much now in the U.S., you know, in whatever, whatever it was, 20, 2007. And I, there's something so immediate about that kind of filmmaking where you don't feel the presence of the director that I was really interested in after yeah. spending <laughs> so long really admiring films where you do feel the presence of the director. You know, the other thing I... And granted, I have not finished this book. I've only read about a third of it. But yeah. it reminds me of, there's a book by an Egyptian author. I think it won a Nobel Prize yeah. called Nagib Mahfouz, yeah, yeah. Children of the Alley. I've never read anything by It him. reminded me of that. So it's it's a parable that like mimics the Bible, essentially, that you know, losing favor of the father and being cast mm. in, out of the garden, essentially, is that. But that... That, you know, instead of living a life of luxury, you have to do that, that constant hustle in order to stay alive and have food on the table and have a place to stay and all of that. So I don't know, that's it kind of had that feel to me, you know, it feels like a timeless story of, you know, um, of, of, of survival and, you know, getting by and or not getting by and, and, you know, in these side economies that that, you know, happen outside mm-hmm. of, of the formal ones, you know, you know, the, the ones that are still going on now, yeah, yeah. you know, when, when the rest of the formal economy is shut down, we have these. We in- are speaking to you from mid pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if it's mid. We're in the pandemic. <laughs> We're, in the pandemic. We're recording Two this in. <laughs> at the end of April, 2020. Yeah. I don't We don't know. Maybe listening to this in the future. We don't know how long we're in this, but we're yeah. we're in Austin, Texas, and we're still in lockdown. Yeah. So I mean, it's funny. Like, yeah, it's we have this this vision of the formal economy being officially, you know, shut down or in lockdown or whatever. But yeah. there's all this this side hustle the side and people hustle. getting by, and probably more of it than there w- was before because all of a sudden all the formal institutions that, you know, formally would house more of it suddenly can't happen. So there's a lot more like side dealing and, you know, so, so, you know, I think we're going to find a lot more people in this kind of circumstances that are just doing anything they can to sort of cobble together, Yeah, you know, and, and stay on track to, to their, to their dreams, you know, and unfortunately, (laughs) well, this is just how a (laughs) lot of the world lives. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, a lot of the world, yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's funny because we don't really think of that as existing in the United States, but of course it does. It's just not not out in the open, you know. So, um, in reading about the film a little bit today, I stumbled on a great um, Q&A interview with Ramin Barani, and I think uh, the interviewer was uh, is a web journalist Andre Soares, I think it's his name, so I want to credit him. Um, and he asked him about the source of the movie and a little bit about the background. And Ramin Barani said, uh, 
that the the subject matter came to him because he was like with a friend one day and th- he happened to um he needed to get some work done on his car yeah. and they went to Willett's Point and he saw this place for the first time was amazed by yeah. this weird microcosm, <laughs> this whole teeming world going on that he was completely unaware of. And he said he knew within like two minutes that his next film had to be set here. Yeah. And so when they were casting this film, they went to something like, I'm going to get the numbers wrong. They went to, I think it was like 60 schools Yeah. and saw... Um, like 200 kids or a thousand kids or something. I mean, they looked at 800 kids. I forget what it is. They yeah. looked at hundreds of kids and they ended up finding Izzy and Alejandro in the same school. They knew each other already. And actually, uh, and um, Izzy had once like, like, kind of protected uh, Alejandro's sister <laughs> during some kind of scuffle or something mm. like that. So they were already really tight and knew each other and trusted each other. Um, and then they worked with them. They worked with them for months. Yeah. They worked with them for months. He put, um, he had Alejandro work in one of those body shops mm-hmm. for six months yeah. with the guy who played Rob <laughs> and who I don't know if he, he might actually own that, but I don't yeah. know, but he, but with that guy Jamaica Autobody. and, um, he said that like they were able to perform these like really elaborate scenes just from working on it and rehearsing together, not even from reading the scripts, yeah. but from their work together on the actual sets and stuff like that, where they would like nail the camera blocking, like do it in one take and stuff. And, and it was all totally natural just from the relationship they developed with each other and the trust with Ramin Barani and stuff like that. And he was like, this is like better than working with professional <laughs> act. These were not, you know, they've never acted yeah. before. Um, I don't know. It was just really interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about acting is if you do it much, it's really easy to get, let your thinking get in your own way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like any other practice that you do, if you get to a point where you don't have to think about it in order to perform, then that's when you're performing your best because it's not a performance. It's, it's like a part, it's an extension of yourself, you know? I don't know. Other thing that I always think about, and I think about this a lot, I think about it all the time, maybe now, which is that, like, it doesn't matter what circumstances that humans find themselves in. I'm going to sound like an alien now. (laughs) (laughs) When human beings need to interact. Well, so I mean, like, the you know, if I can remember the first thought I had, like, that was probably around Ollie's age, but, like, you know, I was listening to um, talk about I guess at, around that time would be the mid nineties, early mid nineties, mm-hmm. um, all the, um, bombings in cafes in Israel and like how oh, yeah. people just continued to live their lives and like they went to school and they had picnics what and they, they had, this is the world they live you in. You know, that's that, that you can find joy in life and satisfaction and hopes and dreams, even in the most like dire and, terrible situations like people Man's are search able to, for meaning yeah people i mean like because why live even if things are miserable and terrible and dire like we were listening to country music the other day and like half the songs are about like finding Almost a better place on death. the other side <laughs> and 
And like, I was like, things must be pretty bad if their music is all about like being better on the other side of yeah. things. But, you know, people find joy and meaning and in existence, you know, in even the most dire situations. And, you know, you know, the hope for something better is a powerful thing. This is not a film about misery. No. And like this, it, like some of the subject matter is grim, but this is not a movie about wallowing or depression or misery or like, like a terrible existence. Yeah. Like from Alejandro's point of view, He's making a living. Yeah. He, he is, found a great place for his sister to live. And he has goals. Yeah. And he's working towards something. He has he scored a really cool place to live yeah. where they have their own place, safe on the streets. They lock the padlocks at night. They're totally safe. This is a good life. Yeah. Which makes you wonder what they came from or what happened in the well, interim. Well, and if, but, you know, the, you know, you know, the, you know, the tyranny of like too much time on your hands or the tyranny yeah. of not having a goal or the tyranny of having all your resources that you need. And suddenly you have this time to worry about things that you wouldn't worry about at all, you know, cause you'd be focused on day to day. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to be at this time when people have, a lot of people have leisure time to worry about yeah. things and it doesn't bring them joy or, you know, maybe for some people it does. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and Alejandro is focused, but he's not like joyless or anything no, like no, that. I mean, like, and he can still be a kid because you yeah. have scenes where he plays with his friend, you know, where they're like throwing the rocks at the old speaker at the yeah. end of the long day of work, you know, where they're just kind of hanging out, talking trash and throwing rocks at shit and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> Throwing a supermarket cart off the bridge. Yeah. Although Ollie was not into that. He was yeah, worried he was, he was worried about say you he, know, he not letting his uh, money be discovered, you know. That's so. true. He had something else going on on his mind. Well, you know, it's so hard to watch people learn these lessons, but that's what kids are doing. They're learning the hard lessons of adulthood, you know. So it's hard to watch though sometimes. Okay, and I just have to say, <laughs> then you go the end of the film. Like, after all that Ale and Izzy have been through, and then there's that tension between them. I'm talking about the very end. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's the joy of just throwing this, the seeds at the pigeons. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then they're both smiling again. And it's like back to the purity and simplicity of the right here and the right now, and them being with each other in that moment. And like, some of that other stuff is gone again yeah. during that moment. It's really nice. Yeah, it is. I forgot <laughs> where we end up, but yeah, I mean, this doesn't have like the giant third act climax or anything. Yeah, well, there's, yeah, there's no scene of reckoning. I mean, I guess there's a little fight between Alejandro and his friend when he feels like his friend's uncle cheated him, but yeah, there's no real big confrontation or anything like that. There's... I don't know. And in that way, it doesn't feel like heavy handed or scripted in such like where you're really trying to like punch through a point to all of this. The point is more like come spend time here in Willett's Point with with Alejandro and his sister. (laughs) You know? I mean, it. 
I mean, if you look at it from some perspective, you just you wish it could be easier for them, you yeah. know, that there were well, that part of it's heartbreaking. Yeah, that, that, that we can't this is a good life for that them. That we can't take care of our people. Yeah. In a way that would allow them to be more children, to be the children that they are, you know. Well, so there's But that. it doesn't mean they have a bad life. And that, so that's no, the, that's the it's hard, hard. Yeah. That's the hard thing about it because cuz a lot of people would write people who are able to eke out a living off because, oh, look, they got through just fine. But, like, the thing is, is that they shouldn't have to work that hard. No. To, you know, we have the resources in this country to make thing, make life easier for, for everyone. Yeah. And we don't do it, you know. And it's wonderful that, that these people are able to find joy and happiness in their circumstances. But then you step back from the yeah. movie and go, but they shouldn't have to live like that. They shouldn't like have that. to live like that. Yeah, they, they should have health care, have... they should have a place to live, they should have a guaranteed income, they should have all of that. The know? little shack on top of the auto yeah. body shop that is so awesome to Ale should not be yeah. the only choice. I mean, it's probably not fit to, you know, no. it would never pass inspection for someone to live in, you know, it just, it wouldn't. Well, and he's not in school, No, and he's working illegally under the table, Yeah, and uh, I mean... He's up. He's in this grown-up world, just wandering the streets with his friend. Oh well, yeah, it's just it's and well, and that's the thing to have the <clears throat> the stadium just across the way where these middle-class families mm-hmm. come. Oh, with and there's their a cars. scene where you see everybody arriving yeah. for the U.S. Open. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Or well, the U.S. Open would be more than middle-class families, but yeah. you know, where all these like rich and middle-class families coming into this into, into this area, into their hood. You know, and and like you know, they have things like cell phones and. And, you know, strollers and all of this stuff. I don't know. It's just, it's, you know, I don't know. And I've, I've been, I've been that middle class family that goes to an event in a, yeah. in, you know, so it's. Well, a lot of stadiums are in Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's because like the right? only place where you can, you know, because everybody else is going to fight. Yep. The, the building, the taking of eminent domain. Oh, sure. So, you know. What they did in Arlington, they knocked down a bunch of low-income housing in order to build the big football stadium there. So, so uh, in that same interview that I was reading with Ramin Barani, there was a um, a wonderful quote that I wanted to about like his approach to directing this that kind of ties back into the sort of neorealist thing I was observing. And the interviewer asked him, "What inspired your approach?" And he said, to be as simple as possible, to erase myself in the camera, and to direct without directing, which I think he totally nailed. But the irony is, is he goes on to say that to get that effect of not being present and to be an observer and to just witness Alejandro's life, he said, was painstakingly and controlled down to every single thing was scripted and pre-planned and rehearsed. So all of that sense of immediacy that you're just a fly on the wall or you're following them around was painstakingly constructed. And so you have that irony of to get a film that looks like that, that is a fictional film rather than a documentary. It's absolutely controlled. Whereas, you know, some people might think, oh, well, they just found these th- these actors and gave them a situation. They kind of improvise it and they followed them around with the camera. 
it might look like that. Yeah. But it never looks amateurish, I would yeah. say. I mean, even no. the actors in Bicycle Thieves seem more amateurish than than yeah. Alejandro and Izzy. <laughs> so anyway, I just love I love his, what he was doing. I yeah. mean, he's still around. Like, yeah. <laughs> Ramin Barani is still making films. Well, I mean, you can take, the, like I said before, you can take the chance that on a first or second take, an amateur actor is going to do something that you want. But yeah. the thing is, is as you do more takes with an amateur actor, they're going to become more self-aware of what they're yeah. doing. And that's going to come across in their performance. But if you work with an amateur actor over a period of months and you rehearse and rehearse and rehearse until it's second nature to them, then they're able to get that natural performance every time, you know, because it is... It, I mean, it's like when you're playing music and the first time you play a song, you're like, you're just focused on, you know, getting the right getting notes, the notes, you know, but, <laughs> getting the but if you played the song like a hundred times, then <clears throat> you, your fingers know where to go next. You don't even have to, you know, you know, you can inject more of yourself into it at, at that point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He says that what he wanted the viewer to experience, he wants us to feel like he wants us to feel like we're one of those car customers who drives in, <laughs> needs something done on their mirror or whatever, yeah. and and sees this kid run yeah. out to help him. That kind of like he wants us to be that kind of a participant slash observer in the actual milieu, mm-hmm. um, and it totally works. It does. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. Do you have any other thoughts or? Uh, observations you'd like to make i think i I thought and observed all my thoughts and observations so i can't put you on the spot to observe any more than you already have well here's my observation you need to see the other two films um that i've seen and approve (laughs) because i actually don't know i i didn't for whatever reason i didn't keep up with his Mm. career i i think things opened in festivals and stuff with a little less fanfare for whatever reason, or I just fell out of the loop. Yeah. But I haven't really kept up with his career. But Man Pushcart, the second film, um, Chop Shop, which we've watched, and the one after that, Goodbye Solo, beautiful. And yeah. actually, the guy who plays um, Ahmad in this film, yeah. the other, the Chop Shop guy, yeah. is the main character in Man Pushcart. You know what else? This and he is an actor. Just thinking of, this also reminds me of the guy who directed Mud and the other... Oh, Jeff Nichols? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think Take I, Shelter I like this. And, and Mud. I mean, oh, Take Shelter is so good. But this this was something, I mean, like even more intimate than that, you know, the sort of, you know. I had a hard time, like, finding the right week or, the, or, or even just getting up the nerve to show this movie mm. for some reason. Like I, was I know like, we've had it for a while. We had it for a while because I couldn't find it. It was sort of out of print. And, you know, it was one of those ones I would look at when we'd browse half-price books or something. And, and I couldn't find it. And then I found it. And then I was like, well, now I have it. So there's no excuses. But it's weird because in my mind, I couldn't rem- I was like, is it... Is there something hopeful, something... You know, what What was it? Because I remember feeling that spirit of life yeah. to it. But then I was also remembering some of the grim stuff on it, on it. And so that made me more hesitant to like, should I bring out Chop Chop or is that a downer, you know? Yeah. And I 
don't think it is. I really think it's one of those films that may be gritty in some ways, but it just has such a truth to it that you feel closer to other humans yeah, to, exactly. to talk in your alien language. Yeah. Like, so I'm glad that I chose it this week. Well, I just, you know, I feel like as people gain more things in this life that the sort of level of trust because you have more to lose goes away. Yeah. But I was particularly struck by how these, you know, Rob and Ahmad and they just, they just trusted each other and trusted the system and, and they knew how things worked and there wasn't this sort of air of suspicion about everything, you know, I don't know. I liked it. It felt good. Good. Yeah. And um, we've talked about it like it, it's a sleeper or it's relatively unknown or something like that, but it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival that year. It played at Toronto and, and maybe Roger Sundance. Roger Ebert called it number six in, in his top... top films of the 2000s at yeah. that point, you know, yeah. which is probably up through 2010 or so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's good. And, and if you can, you should seek it out if you haven't seen it because it's really got something special to it. Luminous. Bit, and I'm happy luminous. <laughs> actually that I chose it during this time because we yeah. need things about like hope and people surviving and yeah. um, Alejandro is just going to win you over, I think. Ale. Yeah. Ale. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us again. Uh, if you like the show, please subscribe to us and tell people, share, share, share the knowledge of, yeah. of the show um, and look us up on Instagram and Facebook. Shut up. Watch this. So you can keep up with new uh, new posts, uh, new episodes. And um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, and it's Ashley's turn again. Yes, it is. And you have no idea what you're going to choose. I have no idea what I'm going to choose. I have no idea what she's going to choose. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you again soon. All righty. Bye. Bye.